0: This is Tiffany and Dan coming to you from Studio 211, and we are excited today uh, to invite a guest from um, here at the district office. We're going to welcome Esteban Monhey, and we're going to share um, our typical questions that we ask all of our guests with Esteban and get to know him a little bit better before we start chatting about today's topic. So, Esteban, tell us uh, how long have you been in education and what's your role here at the district office?
1: Well, thanks for having me. Um, I've been with the Grossmont Union High School District as of, I believe it was last week, uh, 11 years.
0: Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah.
1: So my, I, I came in in February. It's a long story. I won't get into it. But <laughs> I started in February as an athletic trainer Okay. And then, and then worked a semester and started teaching that fall. So I taught in the classroom for 10 years. And in the last year and a half, I've been here working in the district office under the CTE department as the work-based learning specialist. Um but as far as teaching goes, I taught uh, sports medicine. I was a pathway at Granite Hills and um biology, Ivy biology, and I was the health pathway coordinator. Wow. Yeah. So you kept busy?
2: Yeah.
1: Very busy. And and yeah. busy still, I think. Absolutely. Different busy. Right. Yeah. Right. I don't um I run into some of my students and they're like, Oh did you miss the classroom? And absolutely I love it. I miss the classroom a lot. I miss the students. I miss watching Friday night football games. Mm-hmm. I don't miss working Friday <laughs> night football <laughs> no, games. Because I would get home. Those were long days, 6 a.m. to about 10 p.m. And I just, I was like done all weekend. I was useless. Yeah. Um, so I don't miss that. <laughs> I can imagine. Yep.
0: So if somebody wasn't um, or wanted to know more about like our CTE program and what you do here at the district, what would your elevator pitch be? Like what would you tell them yeah. kind of your role encompasses? So
1: um, I get this question a lot because people are like, what is a work-based learning specialist? Yeah. What do they do? Um, and so a lot of my job is working with the business community. Um, and so the way I, if I can have like one sentence elevator pitch, and would be, I'm um, the liaison between our classrooms and our CT classrooms in the Grossman Union High School District and the industry, business partners. So I try to make the connection between the classroom and the workforce. Um, so that's kind of I guess the best way I can I can pitch that, and and there are many ways we we bring business partners into the classroom, um, but typically it starts with um, reaching out through various committees I I sit on and attend meetings I I attend, um, a lot of cold calling, you know, yeah. just you know picking up the phone and saying we're looking for this, can you help us, and sometimes I'm contacted by employers, um, and then I kind of connect them to those particular or those specific
2: pathways you might be interested in. Okay. And, and this seems to be an important part of our CTE pathways to provide that real-world experience with that, an actual connection to the real world.
1: Absolutely. We hear it all the time, right? Our students are disconnected. We hear it all the time. They are disconnected to what they're learning or the purpose of their learning to their lives. Yeah. Um, so a little quick story. I, 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 um, when I was in high school, I took a fire science class, which was an ROP class. Mm-hmm which was taught by real firefighters. Mm-hmm. Every day we had like a different firefighter because of their schedule. Um, and then uh, that led me to being an explorer in the fire department down in Chula Vista. And so like that was the ultimate, hey, I just saw this last night on a ride along and I'm learning about it in class or I just learned it and I'm applying it. Like, immediately. Gi- immediately. You couldn't Replicable. get more yeah. work-based learning than that. That's cool. you know. So I kind of gravitated towards that um, so I think for our students, when there is that kind of disconnect, it's a lot of it like, why am I learning this? Mm-hmm. Right? So we hear that a lot from, mm-hmm. from, from students. Like, oh, what, what is, like, especially with math, right? Well, why why when is am I math relevant, this? right? Yeah. Um, so I think that's where I feel CTE kind of comes into play yeah. with regards to kind of work-based learning.
0: Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, one of the other things we like to ask uh, guests on the show is, to sh- this is GUHSD Learning Stories. So we like to ask all of our guests to tell us about something they've recently learned. Um, and when you joined me, fun fact, Esteban comes to us from Studio 210 right next door <laughs> to, uh, right next door to uh, my office. But um, when you came in, you told me you, had, you were maybe late, late to the game, but you had just discovered something new. Why don't you tell us about that?
1: um uh, are we oh <laughs> i'm embarrassed now you feel me on, uh, on, no, no, on this point. Is great. um i just discovered spotify Yeah. <laughs> i mean i've known about it all right but i've never like used it i was always a pandora and i never paid <laughs> so I, I suffered through the commercials oh, man. yeah it was brutal but um my wife she was like hey let's 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 do let's try this out i love it I was telling telling you, uh, I don't think I'll buy a CD ever again.
2: (laughs) I'm an iTunes music guy, but but I understand. I I, I appreciate it. I appreciate Spotify. Well, Uh, fun uh, fact, our
0: cast is available on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts.
2: that's amazing. So
0: um, no matter where you listen, uh, you can catch GUHST learning stories. It
2: is nice not to have to buy every single thing you want to listen to. Yes. It's a whole different, it's it's a paradigm shift, and I hate using that word, but it it absolutely, from someone who spent a lot of money on CDs and yes. iTunes early yes. on yep. and records and it's, yep. it's really nice to go, I want to listen to this and then have it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to
0: th- guess that you were not a CDs on the visor kind of guy. You were like a CDs under the seat in the giant zip kind oh, yeah. of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's when you say that. I just rediscovered in my garage my Zip CD case. <laughs> well, and, and maybe
2: I had more tapes than CDs in my car. I didn't, I don't, yeah, I don't. I guess I eventually had a CD player in my car, but uh, yeah. but, you know. <laughs> well, you're not old
1: school unless you had the tape that connected to the CD player. Of course, that was yeah, me back.
2: disk man. Okay. Okay.
0: Well, today's cast sort of evolved um, organically out of a, a little bit of a working conversation that we ended up having here one day at the district office, and um, you know we're we are all really really passionate educators up here, and we care deeply about students and teachers and. Um, our district as a whole, and so we often sit and reflect and chat and talk about what's going on, and one of the things that came up for us was how deeply personal the practice of teaching is, and we tried to unpack that a little and sort of ask some questions about why our profession um, feels so deeply personal, and uh, maybe a little bit of, of what that means and what that affects, and so... We just thought we'd, we'd bring that up today on the cast and maybe see if this um, you know sparks some interest from our listeners who want to share or, or contribute some thoughts. Um, what do you gentlemen think? Why, why is the practice of teaching, why do we hold it so personal to the point where when we might get some feedback or we might have some input or collaborative partner, some teachers just feel really um, urgent about holding on to their curriculum or keeping their strategies sort of closed door. Um, they don't want the feedback because it somehow feels like they're, they're being attacked personally. What do you think makes it that way?
1: Well, um, you're, you know, my background obviously is science, mm-hmm. right? I, um, I don't think I mentioned this, but I was an athletic trainer before I was a teacher for many years um so my background's always just gravitated towards science so i think why i think we kind of take things so personal or as i say our space right our learning space and i want to preface this with this is my view right like i'm not saying this is a blanket view on every teacher this is just my experience um you know if you think about it like humans the species are very much a First and foremost, safety is the most important.
0: Okay.
1: Right? Um, you know, we couldn't have evolved unless we were in a safe place, safe place mm-hmm. and we were fed, right? The basic necessities, mm-hmm. right? Maslow's bottom tier. Um, so I think when we talk about our classrooms, it's, for of, many of us, our teachers, it, it's our safe place. Now, there are situations where it might not feel like a safe place, right? Sure. Um, for certain teachers in certain environments. We, we've, we've heard those stories before. But in general, I think it's it's kind of our our. I used to I used to um, tell my students, "This is my domain, right? or our domain, I should mm. say. Like this is our like, you know, our square on the earth." Mm-hmm. And so, because of I think some of that necessity or f- wanting to feel safe, we we are obviously experts in our field and whatever it is subject we're teaching, and you know, once we're. We've been teaching that content for so many years. We feel like, man, we got this. I got this. I'm good. I'm feeling refined. I've refined that that lesson plan, um, and, and this is what I'm comfortable doing. And for some people, and and I'd, I'd be guilty of this too, mm-hmm. where I would say, you know, you know what? I don't want to try that new lesson because I'm really good at this one. I'm
0: like, in that, the zone over here. Yeah, right? this, one, this, this one. This one I'm, works. This one Every works.
1: Time. Mm-hmm, this one works. The kids, I'm getting you know, I'm getting good feedback. That lesson over there, uh, I'm not too good, but it's one of the content standards, so I got to cover it, Yeah. right? Um, and I think we mentioned to this before, uh, as far as it's, it's, it's a lot more, di- it, like for me personally, it, it would be more difficult to have somebody um, come in and observe a lesson I didn't feel strong in mm-hmm. because now I feel like I'm vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I feel like, oh my God, someone's coming in to judge my like worst lesson the lesson i'm the least comfortable with and i use the example of the first year i taught that I, I taught ivy bio um i was told like literally four days before the school started that i was going to teach it so you know i'm oh, sure we've all boy. been in that position oh, before yeah. so i was really nervous because um it was an area in biology that you know the, or there were certain you know chapters or units where i'm just like wow well, i'm i'm just not comfortable teaching that it's uh, it's been years since i've myself personally been exposed to that particular branch of biology. Mm -hmm. You know? Like for me it was always like human biology. I was I was on it. And even when I taught general biology, I felt like I had those units down. As you know with IB and upper level it's much more specific and and rigorous. So I had to literally every night go home and read that unit, read that chapter and just be like, oh man, I you know, I don't want to mess this up. But I was honest with myself and I was honest with my students. I never went in there saying No, this is how it is. I went in there and said, "Um, I'm not sure, Mm -hmm. but I'm confident I can help you find the right answer. And that was a big thing. I I never tried to sugarcoat their questions like, oh, no, it's this. I'd be like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. But I never left it there. Right. It was always like, I'm going to find out.
0: Or here's how we find out. Yeah. Or what do you guys think we should try? Yeah. How do we Google that? Who do we call? What do we... Yeah. If you're not modeling those strategies for kids and you're always showing them perfection... And,
1: and I, I can never forget the first year I taught the, um, the IB bio course, a student said, Mr. Monaghan, I love your class because it's so organized.
0: Oh, like it's it.
1: so we know what we're going to do, you know, because, you know, you do the word, you know, the wall, right? What, what you're going to do for the week and mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny because in my head I'm like, if she only knew <laughs> how yeah, disorganized I feel like I am. Mm-hmm. You know, Sunday night, Monday morning, I'm freaking out I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, is this is this right? Do I have all the you know proper mm-hmm. you know supplies, worksheets, whatever you want to call it for the week? But it was like, wow, you know, obviously I was <laughs> organized because I projected that. Yeah. But internally, and I think some of that's like a, I don't want to use the word um, self-esteem, but it, it's it's like a... It's a feeling of, for me personally, like, you're always questioning, am I doing the right thing? Okay. Right? Like, is this right? Is this, Is this? am I, am I, you know, I guess it's kind of like a confidence thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Am I going to present this lesson correctly? Especially if it's like, you're trying something new, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's putting yourself in that vulnerable position to say, okay, I'm going to try this, but if I fail, you know, I'm not going to lie about my failures you know st- I'll right. be, be bluntly honest with Transparen- my students yeah, yeah the transparency thanks so yeah. I was thinking of yeah. the word um, and, and just reaching out to colleagues and saying hey how did you do this mm-hmm. like how did you how, did you did you you know come across this problem now for me it was tough because I was the only IB teacher there okay right so it's I, I didn't really have a lot to, to um, ideas to bounce off of until like a, you know um, another teacher came on board yeah. and we would
2: kind of bounce ideas
0: what do you think Dan I think
2: you know that idea of we invest so much into our classrooms, you know, our, and and even though you may be teaching biology or social science or English or whatever the subject is, um, and and yes, you're teaching kids, but you're creating kind of that right. space where that happens, uh, and and maybe maybe you have more of a cult of personality than than not, or or you know, but but it becomes very it becomes very personal. And you know, I know my experience as, as a, a social studies teacher, um, and, and even a photography teacher is is I was incredibly invested mm-hmm. in what I was doing and I believe passionately in the direction which I was uh, which I was going to going in at least. And and I and I think we, I never really had the culture of that kind of ongoing feedback from people. So, so I, I might have been a little defensive at times. Okay. I know when I had conversations with other teachers, there could, if, you know, once you start like, getting, we'll say critical, not criticizing, but critical of, of teaching practices, and uh, sometimes I think people retreat to that because they are all in. And and uh, you know I think from a very early you know when I remember my teacher credential program I had to write an educational philosophy mm-hmm. that that no one gave me any feedback on so I think I was on but maybe I wasn't you know or or maybe maybe there's so many versions of that that then you all get hired into schools um, and maybe your educational philosophy lines up or or maybe it doesn't and so and so we I think I think we it becomes deeply personal because. We go all in, and it sort of defines who you were. I mean, I was a teacher, you know. That was yeah. I was a dad, and I was a friend, and and all these other things. But teacher was one of the first few descriptors of uh, of my Twitter profile, and you know of of all those things that that how you identify yourself, and and so that becomes that becomes a deeply, um, you know, you protect you protect yourself in some ways as well.
1: Yeah, and I think most. Uh, Every teacher I've come across, it's it's very much you the mindset is I want <clears throat> to make sure I'm doing what's right for these kids, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of what. You, well, maybe it's not what every te- person, be- everyone became a teacher, but uh, the many te- the teachers I've come across is very much I want to help young people, yeah, right? Like or, or whoever you know, if you're teaching elementary, kinder, whatever it is, you know, like like this is the, the age group that I'm gravitating towards, wanting to help. And the help I'm providing them is the form of education. I came from a background that I wanted to help people medically, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's a whole different type of wanting to help. Um, you know, I had the best, some of the greatest satisfactions I've had in my life have been seeing people come from devastating, almost career-ending injuries and coming back to competing at a very high level again mm-hmm. like there's something so gratifying in 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 being a part of someone's that process for someone right the entire process and so for me when I got into education um I I started off kind of just basically they handed me keys to the room like here's here's what we taught here's and I, I was like I was lost right mm-hmm. to the point where at the end of that first year I said is this is what I want to do um, maybe I should be like my dad and become a housing inspector and work for the city sure, and I'd yeah. have a nice pension yeah. and, and we're all good, right? Yeah. a comfortable job. Um, but then I said no. Like I, I want to help young people, mm-hmm. um, and and so I think most of us, in some capacity, come into education with that mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, again, based on my experiences, some people keep that more than others. Um,
0: and I think if I had. This was why I was so passionate about this conversation. If I had one wish for all of our educators, not just here in Grossmont, but, you know, all of our educators, and I guess we'll say the whole wide world, mm-hmm. um, but it would be that we would have the ability to maintain that passion around our students and our purpose, but be able to separate that a little bit from our practice. And my wish for every teacher would be that they could find that space in their professional practice where they could have that collaborative partner, that critical mm-hmm. friend, that, you brought up a great point, we're worried about judgment. Mm-hmm. But how can we shift that paradigm so that when I'm having a conversation with my principal or my department chair or a DLC, anyone in a, in a position to offer me the gift of feedback, I'm receptive to it or I, or i'm mm-hmm. open to internalizing it or reflecting on it without it feeling like judgment without it feeling like a personal yeah. um, like it's about me tiffany rather than my evolving growing practice as an educator
2: and and i think i think part of the problem has been is most of those conversations are around evaluations yeah. and an evaluation is is a much different mm-hmm. a, a much different conversation than Let's just, let's just talk about practice. Okay. Um, you know, I, I know, you know, for, for parts of my career, I, I had, you know, I worked really closely with other teachers, and, and we did push each other yeah. and had some mm-hmm. really great, really great conversations um, because we were talking about what the lesson was or what the assessment was, and, and I wish we'd gone into a lot more detail in those conversations, but um, that was when we were pushing, pushing the practice, but it wasn't an evaluation. Yeah. And so um, I, I think as we continue to evolve and look at instructional practices to, to broaden broaden them to make sure we're including all of our students, uh, more of our students, uh, we need to just be open to that and not everything's about an evaluation. Yeah. So getting better isn't necessarily for the evaluation, it's about getting better for the kids.
1: Uh, yeah, and, and like I said, I, I came in education from outside you know from industry and part of being an athletic trainer is you have to maintain, uh, so many CEUs and report them every two years or mm-hmm. your you know, certification gets suspended or expired, whatever you want to call it um, so I naturally always had that an innate desire to want to learn more about my profession and once I got into high school and still worked in that capacity as an athletic trainer, I said well what makes the most sense for me to specialize within the field the scope, the domain of athletic training mm-hmm. And for me, it was, well, you know what? I'm starting to see a lot of head injuries. I see. So I want to learn everything I can about adolescent brain injuries. And that's what I did because I was like, that's the most relevant thing as an athletic trainer I can learn mm-hmm. when I'm at a conference, when I'm doing CEUs online, that I can directly apply to my athletic training profession. Okay. So once I got into education, I was kind of thrown off because there isn't, like, a reporting system for CEUs, Mm -hmm. right? Most every profession where there's some type of license involved or certification, there's some type of CEU reporting process, right? Like, lawyers have to do it, doctors, you know, um, certain aspects of um, accounting, Mm -hmm. right? So for teaching, it's kind of implied that you're doing that, right? At least that's what I've experienced, but there's no mechanism to say, okay, Dan McDowell has has met his satisfaction and this is his documentation, you know, we're we're good. So I was thrown off by that as again someone coming outside of education. And so now in my role I've you know, a lot of what I do is is, you know, go to conferences and, and things like that. And and even as a teacher I went to certain education conferences, but I think obviously now in my role I think one of more of those. And when I talk to our teachers that go, they're like, man, I, you know, that conference was awesome. I felt like almost like a, a, a boost of, you know, energy, whatever. Like, yeah. I feel like Revitalize. I'm motivated. Yeah. Let's get back
0: in there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and some from very seasoned teachers, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, like, to the point where it's like, you know what? I was thinking about retiring. Not now. Like, I, I feel like there's some, a couple more things I want to accomplish. That's awesome. That yeah. I wish that's that's the ultimate, you know, success story. So, I. I Again, going back to what you are saying, Dan, as far as an evaluation piece, because there's not this built-in mechanism, and I don't think it'll ever get to that point, um, at least in the near future, but I think we talk about professional learning communities, right? People, your peers that you, know, you bounce ideas off of. Um, in our department at Granite Hills, as a science department, we gelled really well together in our PLCs, bouncing ideas. And and I credit, you know, shout out to, you know, Curtis McKenzie, our, our department chair, who really mm-hmm. reined that in, right? Like, or, or, or I don't say reined it in, but like, you know, he made it so that that environment was, uh, was sustainable. And <laughs> when I learned about other departments in the district, I realized, I don't know if that's happening as effectively right. in, at other sites. And, um, again, I'm not, I'm not picking on anyone in particular, but I just know that the nature of, human relationships, not all people are going to get along together. So when there's a group where that's not happening, I feel like that continual learning is probably not going to continue either or is not continuing. And ultimately, who does that affect? Well, the students, right?
0: So then why is it different for me to say, um, I'm going to go to this Q conference and I come back and I'm fired up and it feels great and it feels warm and fuzzy, but if the district says or our district says we have uh, PLC time Uh or there's a training that you can come to at Mollison or there's, um, you know, something's going to be happening on your campus. Why is that such a different vibe? Is it because I self-selected it? I mean, I'm getting just as much input on my practice. Maybe somebody's not saying you need to X, but if I go to a session and I go, dang, that's an amazing thing and I'm not doing it. Yeah. Why is it so different?
1: I, I think the difference between that and, like, say, I'm going to a conference mm-hmm. is a conference has, like, 50 things you could attend. Right. Right. And, okay. obviously, you can't attend all of them. So, you're going to attend the ones that you feel, hey, I'm going to get the most out of them. Versus, hey, we're having this PLC after school on this thing. Eh, I'm cool.
0: Right.
1: I got school-edgy down or, or whatever right, it is. Right, right? I'm good. Um,
2: you know, I, I think maybe that's that's some of it. Yeah, I think the personalization mm-hmm. of a conference where you have all these choices uh, goes, goes a long way. And, and there are things we all need to work on. In the Grossmont District now, we're all wrapping our brains around UDL. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and some of us have a deeper understanding than others, but we all sort of need to have the same understanding. So sometimes there are some things that we all sort of have to do, uh, but as we move forward, you know, let's uh, using UDL as an example. We're going to get in the subject area. We're going to yeah. look into different parts of that, and and ideally give people some choices to to have that novelty and have that uh, uh, sense of empowerment of picking which, which direction mm-hmm. um, you need to go in. Because I, I think that is it is personal, and we you know, but but one of the problems sometimes is is uh, we may pick things that we're more comfortable with versus the things yeah. that push our thinking. So, so we also get into, into a, a comfort zone of I'm going to be learning about this because I already know a lot about it. Yeah, And and I think, you know, being in Tiffany's job before Tiffany and, and seeing all the professional learning that, that we did over the years, we had a lot of repeat customers. Sure. And they were digging in and doing more, but maybe they weren't going to um, – an EL workshop where they weren't right. going to a special ed workshop and 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 so we also need to be open to expanding what we know uh, and, and that broadens our, our, our worldview and, and how we maybe teach our students as well.
1: You brought up a great point and um, I would see this a lot when parents would come to me with notes from doctors saying, um, no but the doctor said she's fine, he's fine, they can go back to playing," and I would explain to them, well no they're not and here's why. And I would say your doctor's not informed because, like you said, Dan, doctors have to get CUs, but they had to have chosen to go to that particular session to learn about adolescent brain injuries, mm. right? And, and so it's it's very much that internal desire to, I want to learn about that. And so I would explain that to parents and I, I would tell them very bluntly like, your doctor's misinformed. Um, and. Try managing that conversation. In well, yeah, uh... <laughs> the second round of a CIF soccer game, telling them why their daughter's not playing. Sure. You know what I mean? Like that—that's yeah. that was that was a very challenging yeah. conversations. But you're right. It's it's that wanted desire to. Hey, I need to l- learn more about this particular thing.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, I um, I appreciate so much being able to to talk about this. I feel like we only got to like three of our bullets, <laughs> and we had a whole bunch. So I feel like maybe there's. A lot more here that we could um, start to unpack. Something that's really taken a hold for me in the last I'll say three or four years is teacher burnout and I'm really curious about it and I really want to dig more into it and our conversation that we had around personal personalizing our teaching practice um, really spoke to, to my interest in that because I think it is, it is really personal, but I think, Dan, you're speaking about, you know, how passionate we are and how personal it is, and we identify as a teacher. Um, but for me, my best days as a teacher came um, through some really hard work and some really deep reflection and some really uncomfortable moments. And I think having come out the other side of those probably through the partnerships you know that I had with colleagues or supervisors I had some some amazing mentors that helped you know push me and challenge me Um, I think those were my best days teaching and I, I think often about what keeps our teachers from burning out and it's the idea that they're they're making progress and they're accomplishing things with students and they're having these amazing moments where they and the students really push themselves. And uh, I, I don't know. I feel like there's probably more to unpack there, a lot, too. A lot, a lot more, Tiffany. <laughs> this may be a series of several. Yeah. But I think what's really important now, um, as we get ready to, to wrap this session here, is that we, we ask for some input from our teachers. Maybe ask them to sort of chime in on what makes teaching such a deeply personal practice and you know, some of the other things we want to explore here are, are how our profession compares to other professions. Um, I think oftentimes we hear teaching compared to, to medicine, um, you know, a lot. And, or, you know, the legal profession or, um, I don't know. But I, I'd like to talk there, too, about maybe whether some of those professionals um, feel similar to, to educators um, and, and our investment in yeah. students and learning and people. Right. And, and and what is the
2: industry expectation mm. you know because I think that uh, there's no way I wouldn't want my doctor to be up on the latest research in sure. different right. techniques right uh, but sometimes we do let teachers get away with not get being up on the latest research sure. and techniques in in the sure. education system and, and maybe maybe get away with is the wrong is the wrong terms but we we need to maybe better institutionalize the delivery of, of the things that are changing. You know, and, and I think every teacher, maybe around the country, but certainly in the Grossmont Union High School district will can can say our classrooms have changed. Yeah. Kids have changed. And maybe it's those stupid phones or maybe it just is a generational thing where yeah. we always look back at the generation that's coming up going, Wow, they're different than we were Yes. Yes. Yeah, that too. And
1: Tiffany you brought up the teacher burnout. Yeah. Thing. yeah. Um, I I think we're gonna see more of that simply yeah. because more of our young people are burning out yeah. mentally, mental health. And as teachers, that's one of the biggest, you know, the, the, the strongest qualities we have sure. is that we care for our students. And when we see our students suffer, we suffer. And a lot of the times mm-hmm. why we might check out of the classroom or check out for maybe checking in on that student is because, man, I don't want to get burned again emotionally. Mm-hmm. If, if, what, if my help for that student... Oh, that's happen. a whole
0: other cast. Right? You're right though. But yeah. but
1: and, and so I think we'll see more of it. Mm-hmm. My my suggestion, I guess, or recommendation is if you're a young teacher, find a mentor. Yeah. Maybe they are, maybe they're not in education. Find somebody that has life lessons that you can bounce ideas off of. Yeah. I've been fortunate enough to have a few mentors along my path that but now I'm getting to a point and I'm I'm sounding like an old man here. Where, uh, (laughs) where now? I'm kind of shifting that role, and this goes for some of maybe the older teachers listening to this. Be a mentor to somebody.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I've been fortunate enough to have some former students view me as a mentor, and I've kind of guided them along their path to being professionals. And it's helped me realize my place as we're revolving around this son right i feel like my purpose obviously number one first and foremost is a father Mm -hmm. a husband but right next to those is being a mentor for young people right helping them along the way because if i didn't have that as a young man
0: yeah
1: i couldn't begin to tell you where i would have ended up yeah um so so that's kind of my i guess my advice my suggestion if you're young find a mentor Mm -hmm. if you're seasoned share your knowledge and and, and mentor somebody young
0: and if you have that mentor that you haven't touched base with in a while, maybe uh, give him a tweet or a call like, yeah. and, and check in. Um, you know, Dan and I were just talking about um, having having thought partners and just people to bounce ideas off of. And, um, you know, I have one thought partner in particular who's just in charge of um, keeping me from opening my mouth too soon. So I, I check in with her when I <laughs> yeah. feel like I'm uh, maybe about to say something that's going to be a little uh, controversial, but, um, you know, make those connections and, and capitalize on those connections and, um, you know, continue to look for them in, in people. Um, we've got a lot more to talk about here. So I think we're going to, we're going to potentially, um, reach out to some teachers and we'd love you to reach out to us and let us know, um, what your thoughts are. Uh, we'd love to get a few more guests on the cast to talk more about our, our deeply personal commitment to teaching and, uh, how that affects us and maybe how it affects um, our mental health, our burnout as educators. Um, but also, you know, there's, there's a lot more, I think, um, that we want to hear from you. We want to know what you're thinking about this topic. Um, so we will likely return uh, in April with um, maybe part two of the personalized teaching yep. practice. Um, reach out to us here at, at the podcast, Tiffany Brown, T-I-F-F-A-N-I Brown at G-U-H-S-D dot net and
2: uh, McDowell at G-U-H-S-D dot net.
0: And uh, if you'd like to get a hold of Esteban, he's e-monge, M-O-N-G-E at G-U-H-S-D dot net. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts and uh, we hope that you'll reach out to us via email or, or get in touch with us here at the district so that we can explore this more. Excellent. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today. And thank you to everyone, whether you listened on Spotify or Apple (laughs) iTunes, podcasts, or through Anchor or Twitter or however you found us. We're glad you came. And we will talk to you next month. Thanks, everybody.
1: Thank you. Thank you.